Welcome back to the EFM podcast. We seek to create missional conversations to help equip the local church for global ministry. I'm your host, Tom Tyndale. It's great today to be joined by two of my heroes, and these guys have had a phenomenal impact on my life uh, in a lot of different ways. I first met them at a closing camp meeting the night before I graduated at God's Bible School, and later that summer, they ended up moving to attend my church with their family. And as the years progressed, it turned out that I would end up marrying one of their daughters. So when I say they've had a phenomenal impact on my life, it continues even to this day and for generations yet to come. And they've been a tremendous blessing. Now, one of the things of many that stand out is how they have deliberately, decisively raised their kids. I think one of the best things that I did when I was a young man, even uh, years before I got married, was I sought out the advice of people that I knew had raised their kids well, and I asked them for, you know, what did you do? Uh, the advice, what did you do? Uh, what do you recommend? And what worked? And it was, I did a lot of that during my college age, and it was probably the best uh, self-assigned assignment I've ever <laughs> done in my life. But I found out with uh, Don and Karen Litchfield, they did such a good job, I wanted to marry into the family. And it's been a tremendous blessing. Uh, one of the things that they have done is not only have they raised their family for the glory of Christ, but they have also raised them to be active in ministry. And so of their four biological children, all four of them, are in a full-time Christian service, and three of them are in cross-cultural contexts. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like being a, a missionary parent and how, do you, how to get there. So great to have you guys. Welcome. Thank you for all you've done in my life and for being a part of this podcast today. So tell me, for the rest of those listening, what what are some of the top values that how did you how did you get the vision for raising your family and and what kind of values played into that vision? I think we both Karen and I came into our marriage with a sense of God's calling um, for our lives, and so when the children came along, there's this sense of that God has called them as well that we're responsible for their spiritual growth, um, even from, see, the, the beginning. So um, when the child was old enough to do so, Karen would uh, sit down with them and teach them to pray. And when they were able to read, we encouraged them then to have their own daily devotional time, reading the Bible and have a time of prayer. The church was central. It was a small church, but there were at least three weekly services, two on Sunday and then another Thursday evening, but there were prayer meetings. And so, you know, of course, they're going to be with us in the church services, but we also had them in prayer meetings with us. So they grew up in an atmosphere of prayer, of the sense that that God is working in their lives and has a has a plan for them. When I thought of having children, I was wondering, why do we even have children? It seemed like some people would just have children so they could be a parent. didn't matter if the child grew up to serve the Lord or do anything meaningful. And it was just a pattern that we kept repeating. So when we started having children, I was, I was really struck with that question, you know, how can I make this? meaningful for the glory of God and not just spend my time gratifying my desire to be a parent. And so I did a lot of reading about parenting. We talked to people about their parenting methods. And I think we learned as we went along. We had a good example through my parents in parenting, which helped a lot. And we also started attending homeschool seminars at one point, which is down the road a ways, but we did start attending those and we learned even more about parenting. 
Okay. So you kind of picked up on a word that you used at first. You mentioned a sense of calling, and that kind of played in, I'm mm-hmm. guessing, what mm-hmm. you're talking about, the purpose behind parenting. Uh, can you spell out that uh, sense of calling? And when, I, when I hear the word calling, I think a lot of people think about the burning bush, classic example, mm. that you know some people are called to be missionaries, some people are called to be pastors. And I think I just heard you throw that into the context of being a parent. And that's sort of like an automatic part of life. So how does that work out? It is a responsibility that we have. Um, as we impress our children, you know, are we going to help them fulfill God's call on their life, whatever that is? And we can stand in the way of that as parents. And we see that many times as we have, you know, done foster care or um, worked with even church people that sometimes this part of it is just missed and parents block their children I hate to say it, but they block their children from accomplishing what God wants the child to do. So, yeah, we each have a calling. We all know that as Christians. We would all admit that God has us here for a purpose on this earth. And so when we're looking at raising a child, are we going to help them in that calling? And when we're in a church, we, th- we might think they'll automatically get to it, but that's not necessarily true. There's a lot more that plays into it. I would say just to add, maybe to, to focus on two or three areas. One is we sense the responsibility to raise our children to love the Lord, to honor Him, to put Him first in all things. And that would include, you know, developing their own personal devotional life, their own vision for God. The other was Karen mentioned homeschooling was important because we understood the importance of our input into our children and not an outside influence that would not reflect our values and sense of the direction that we were to go. And a a third area is the importance of, as a family, just being close, of spending time together, doing things together. And even though you do it in simple ways when the children are small, but it's still, you know, you you go on events together, you know, a little field trip or something, Later, it's vacation together, and then eventually maybe mission trips. But it's understanding that as we're, we're together, there's there's uh, it's building something into all of us that's important. Okay, now I heard a few things in what you were mentioned. A couple times I've heard devotions. Now, flesh that out. What is what does devotions look like, and how would you respond to somebody that says, "Well, we we don't try to force our kid." to be religious, uh, you know, we encourage it, but it's really ultimately their choice. So how does that play out? Or how did that play out? I think it was already in the vision, more so even from Karen, but I think think we both understood that if we're not in a personal relationship with God, how are we going to be able to live out our lives and with His input? And so that that part is important for them to be able to to grow in their own faith. I remember one of the things I heard a lot when I was a teenager and a young adult is other Christians saying, well, I, I really struggle with keeping my devotional time. I just can't be consistent. You know, there's always things coming in the way. So that was one thing in my mentality was I want them to develop habits um, that will help them down the road, whether they choose to continue them as adults or not. Um, But I wanted them to know that the right way to live is God's way. No, I can't force you to be a Christian when you're older, but I can make it a positive experience. I can develop habits in you that will be helpful in serving the Lord and living for the Lord So that's how we looked at it. And so when they were, you don't have to start them this young, but when they were even toddlers, we would just have maybe a minute of them sitting and looking at a Bible storybook. And then we went from there to when they could read and they could read short stories. So we tried not to make it overwhelming. It was so long that they dreaded it every day. It was just just a habit we were starting to form. And as they got older, it was just natural that they 
we're continuing it. Okay. So, yeah, there are some things you don't give them choices in. Like, you know, you, you do need to eat your greens. Right. You do need to clean your room. Mm-hmm. And you do need to have your devotions. <laughs> there are some things that are just part of life. So uh, this fits in those categories. Now, to add on to that, or like you to speak further, I think you've also had family devotions as part of that. And you mentioned as being together. Mm-hmm. So that can be a scary venture for a lot of people. So what it, what did that look like? Well, I'll say that there are a lot of good resources out there. And we really haven't hardly used any of them. <laughs> but it's what, what each family uh, would fit each family. For us, when they were younger, there was big Jesus storybook, very simple language that we would read with them. And then we would have a time of prayer. <clears throat> I would do kind of a crazy thing of I would pick the order. Okay, tonight we're going to pray oldest to youngest or oldest boys down to the youngest girls and back up again. You know, just something variety. Uh, but they were used to praying then as a family together. And as they grew older, we would find um, books on Christian character. We did use the Bible, straight from the Bible as well, of course. And it's hard just, to fail with that one. Right? And just pray that the Lord would guide us, and we would occasionally find a really good a missionary book that we would read together as a family for devotions. You also mentioned homeschooling. Speak to that. There are a lot of, I know this is with COVID popping up, it has certainly made a lot of people reevaluate public school and now the, the woke mob eating the, the public schools alive. <laughs> um, I think it's a great time to, for a lot of parents to rethink homeschooling. You guys were homeschooling before homeschooling was on the radar in a lot of places. So how does that factor in? Why did you homeschool and what did you find as some of the value in homeschooling? Well, we believe that God made children impressionable for a reason. And that because there needs to be there needs to be values that are placed in them at a young age. And so we can choose to use that to our advantage and to Christ's advantage by impressing them with spiritual truths and a lot of godly living around them, or we can choose to let the world impress upon them things. So that was a lot of our motivation for homeschooling. And then we also benefited so much from the family togetherness, as Don said. It helped create that bonding with us, and I think that is an important thing as we're raising children, not just because it'll be a good relationship with us, and our children, but because they will trust us and they will listen to us when we say God's way is the best way and this looks like a wiser choice than the other one. Well, I know um, just a couple of things from the beginning when we started. One was in what Karen was talking about, developing personal relationship. Well, Jordan was the oldest and struggling to learn to read and his personality and Karen's personality was button heads all the time. But eventually, love won out and <laughs> mama won. <laughs> but it developed a very close relationship between the two of them. Yes, I actually remember one time calling Don at the office and saying, I'm going to do more damage to this child than any public school teacher could ever do, <laughs> you know, because I was struggling so much with having patience and working with his strong will, and but God had a work to do in both of us through it, and turned out we got to be very close as we allowed the Lord to crucify the flesh in us. Also, the other part was that at the beginning, Karen did struggle, and I think there's going to be a lot of moms or whoever's doing the homeschooling who are going to feel very inadequate. I can't do this. Or this is too much. And she would feel very overwhelmed. Uh, and I sensed that part of the struggle was the spiritual battle that was going on. And it's more than just an education. It is part of the raising them to be men and women of God. Um, and so I had to encourage her a number of times earlier on until we kind of broke through some of those barriers. 
but people need to know that this is not something Satan is going to sit back and say, oh, wow, they're developing Christian family. They're pointing their children to obey God and follow him. No, he's going to be battling right there. And just to know that it's worth the pressing through that. Wow. The outcome is good. I don't know that I've ever heard homeschooling being talked about in terms of spiritual oppression and that kind of activity, but I think there's a very valid point there. Boy, the devil certainly wants our kids, so right. let's not make it easy for him. Right. Very good. I can also say that, you know, because we were homeschooling, we could control the worldly influence, as I said, but, you know, like when they're younger, we could do... 90, 95% of their time, they were influenced in a godly way. And then as they got older, we could kind of back off on that and invite some peers over that may not be the best influence. And we increased that as they got older. We trusted them more with influences that weren't good because the majority of their foundation when they were impressionable was impressing them to have a solid foundation. Okay, and that brings us to the next part where you've not only raised your kids to take the way, so to speak, but they've they've also been ministering, and that's been very much a part of their life. And, and for those who didn't know, they attended my church for seven years, four of those years before we got married. And so I kind of watched at that point. This was a layman family with clerical background, but every ministry opportunity that the church offered, they were part of. And so now that they're grown and making their own life choices, they're active in full-time service. So tell me a little bit about what it's like to interact with the world, in the world, but not of the world, and yet working to influence the world. If I could say this came up just a moment ago in my thought, was that there's two ways of raising children— when you're considering you want them to be godly and there's a world out there. One is you can isolate them and you draw them back from all of those nasty influences that are going to kill them you know, spiritually. The other is that you insulate the heart through proper teaching and instruction. And part of that is how to deal with people in the world. How do we look at them? How do we respond to them? Uh, what barriers are we going to put up? so that we're not going into those areas and allowing that influence in. And so the insulating of the heart is what we did when they're younger so that then when they got older, we could begin to allow them to be a part of things out in the world and the community. All of the kids, just as a little example, were part of, uh, they all did soccer and a little community thing. It was a small community. The kids were not all that nasty, but, you know, there's, there's influences there. Um, but again, their heart had been properly insulated to be able to go into those areas. I think the spiritual atmosphere of our church, Karen's father was the senior pastor, and there's a sense of, of course, putting Christ first and being a witness to people in the world. And uh, so learning to help them to get to a point where they understand there's people that need to be ministered to, and yet I need to keep my, keep my own heart. How do we reconcile the two of these? Because we do have a calling to share our faith. We had a lot of talks with that with our children as they interacted with other children. There were children in the church that would sometimes influence them to be too silly or to do bad things or say criticize other people, do things that we didn't want them to do, as well as outside the church. So we had a lot of heart-to-heart conversations about that. You know, why did you do that? What, you know, what was the, were you pleasing the Lord or were you trying to please people? And one thing we tried to get them to do was be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. So that would mean when they go somewhere, are they setting the temperature for the way things are going to be? Or are they looking around and seeing what everybody else is doing and adjusting to that? Uh, so it was it was harder for some than for others, and but we tried to make it sound like that was the expectation, which it was the expectation that they would do the right thing no matter what anybody else was doing. And then you try to teach them how to do that in love, the next step, and um, be kind and gracious, even though you're 
choosing to disagree or to act differently. So that was a process. It was a process. Our kids didn't, of course, you know, always figure it out right away, but um, they can learn it. Yeah. And I think in the in the sense you were talking about teaching them toward ministry, one of the things we did as a family, and it's we're around a group of people now that you've got families that sing together, and you go, wow, that's really good. We were not at that level, but we learned to sing songs, do it a cappella, so that wherever we were at, we could sing some some Christian songs as ministry. Even did it once in a bed and breakfast a few hours from home and sang to the proprietor, and he was visibly touched by that. So in the process then, we've ministered in, in a number of different countries, nothing on stage, but just there sharing through song, that type of ministry. So that was part of a, something that we could develop. We would learn songs on our vacation, traveling out to Colorado. We learned the seven stanzas of William Booth's O Boundless Salvation. Wow. That's a great song. <laughs> so you learned to sing. That was some of the ministry activities. What were some of the other activities that you experienced? Well, we tried to attend as many prayer meetings as we could. And as, as you said, any church activities that we could because we wanted to teach them to be a part of the body of Christ. And then there were some widows in the body of Christ. We had one widow particularly that we ministered to motor yard every week and sat and visited with her and drove her places. There were stragglers in the church, and I hate to call them stragglers, but they were people who didn't have good, strong family attachments. And so whether it was Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, or Christmas, or whatever, we invited them to our home to join us as a family. And that was a message to our children that our life is not our own. This is a kingdom-centered life that we are supposed to be living. And so we try to th look at everything through that lens. You know, why are we learning to play instruments? Well, it's for the kingdom. Why are we homeschooling? It's for the kingdom, you know. What, what are we doing with our time, you know. And, and we also had people over to our home, I had children over to our home that were troubled, were really struggling in life because of choices their families had made, and we tried to include them as much as we could, even though it wasn't always easy on our children because the dynamics involved, but I believe that they appreciated it and also did it. And then we, we decided we wanted to do mission trips, and we didn't really have money for that, so we decided to clean our church as a family twice a week we would go in and vacuum and mop and dust and rearrange things and we raised enough money to go on three mission uh -huh. trips that's very very deliberate very intentional very good now you mentioned several times the church and you were part of Kokomo Christian Fellowship for 20 plus years 22 years, then you kind of took a seven-year sabbatical as a, a layman at Trinity Bible Methodist, and now you've been in the pastorate again for the last eight years or something. Yeah, nine. It's nine. Okay, nine. Today. Today's our oh, ninth-year wow. anniversary. Okay. The first Sunday. <laughs> so, so these are long-term relationships with different churches, and and these these relationships, it's not as though they're all in one town. You guys have geographically moved three times, so you've been very committed. Tell me about how your commitment to the church has impacted for positive or for negative and what's been going on with, with your family as a, at raising kids. Well, one big thing is we wanted our children to know how to love people of all kinds. And in a church, you find that, you find it, you know, in any group, but on church on a weekly basis, you can go in, you find people who are really struggling, you find people who are great mentors and examples to your children. And we wanted them to learn how to live graciously with all of those, you know, to learn from the mentors and to respect everyone and to 
try to love and assist those who are struggling. So that was, I think, important in their mentality, a kingdom mentality, again, in um, caring about people, being missional in their relationships. And learning how to pray was a big one, too, in the first church especially, helping our teen children who were with us at the time. We had three teens then, and he would encourage them in pro-life ministry and encourage them in overseas ministry. And since he was a young adult, he was also very influential with that. So that was very important. Our our time right now is that by the time we got over here in Ohio is that our children are already out, but now we have opportunity, and you've assisted that in being part of our church, uh, kind of in and out, of helping the young people that are in our church, the families, get a vision of mission. And that's been a great blessing as we see them making those choices and seeking, you know, what does God want me to do with my life and my future? So that's been encouraging. So it's it's kind of evolved, I think, as Karen said, our first, the church, the growing up years was really setting a foundation for them, preparing them with a vision to go out and be missional. When we moved to Toxin or began attending the church there, it was beginning to work that out. And for each of those three, making up more of a personal vision. And then from there, it's continued on their own. Can you tell me any stories that stood out to you about when your kids not got saved, but they particularly got a call? And... I've heard the stories from the kids' perspectives, but I don't think I've actually heard it from the parents' perspective. What stood out to you? Jacob's is probably the the most clear, because when he was around 12 years of age, he sensed a calling to missions. And I don't know if you remember more of the, the sense there of what was going on at that time. I think we, we just had a sense of the vision that my thought is is that the greatest need in the earth is finding out about Christ, which means that the greatest thing we could do, maybe as parents, is at least pray about our own children, whether they're to participate. And we're all supposed to participate, witnessing wherever we are, but in the sense of leaving the home, going out to minister, uh, breaking, in a sense, the physical bond of being with someone and going some other place, focusing on Christ's ministry and, and his, his calling. So I think there's been a sense of that. And so I don't know that it surprised us. I think it was a, a joy to know that they were receiving this this call. And with Jacob to fill out, fill out the story, he first sensed a call for a number of years to Japan but when we went on a family vacation ministry trip to Thailand, while he was there, he stayed a few extra days, I think it was. And while it was there, he sensed, no, this is where God wants me. And they've been over there for at least five years. And that's home to them, even though they're back here on furlough. That's home to them. And so they look forward to, to getting back over there. I can't say I remember a lot, but one thing I want to throw in here, too, is we tried to really respect the Holy Spirit working in our children separate from us. And it wasn't that, you know, if they said they want to go jump off a cliff because that's what the Lord was saying, we would encourage that. But it was if they felt like God was saying, I need to go talk to this person about the Lord, of course, we wanted to support that. Or if the Lord was telling him, I don't want you to watch this movie anymore, even though I didn't think it was a problem, I would try to respect that. Or if, you know, I shouldn't listen to this music anymore, or I should fast for this amount of time, which I really didn't want him to fast, you know, for that amount of time, because I knew how hard it would be. And 
were they really thinking this through? And so there might be some modifications, but part of our goal was, of course, to teach them to follow the Lord on their own. So how are they going to do it if, if we keep shutting things down? And as we worked with youth for about 10 years, we found that, unfortunately, quite often with Christian parents, that um, God would deal with these young people about purity in their lives or modesty or prayer, and we would be surprised at the Christian parents that would say, wait a minute, you know, this isn't really necessary, and this isn't the way our family does things, and would would shut it down. Yeah, and a lot of these young people are not living all that God wants them to live now uh, because they've been taught to doubt those those little soft whisperings of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Wow. Mom and Dad, your role was very, Mm -hmm. very important. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a couple examples. Jacob, as I don't know how old he was at the time, wanted to have, I mean, we had a prayer meeting every day of the, the week in our church there. So it was something he was already enveloped in, but he wanted to have a children's prayer meeting. And so before the service on Thursday evening, which was the children's time, they went into a side room and they had a a prayer meeting and it would be a pretty good prayer at times. The girls, when we moved up to your area, they wanted to get together with other Christian youth to have a time of fellowship in the Lord and Bible study. And that is still going on. How many years later? It's been 2006 to now. It's 15 years. Wow. It's different ones leading it, different things going on. But that vision themselves, wanting to bring forth those things in life that help us to grow spiritually and part of the spiritual walk. So let me ask you, you talked about parents who kind of put the brakes on their kids' passion for God. And I've seen this at least discussed. I don't know how often I've dealt with it directly, but I've bumped into many stories that I know are legitimate about parents who either do not want their kids going to a Bible college or, horror of horrors, they don't want them to go to full-time ministry, especially not cross-cultural ministry. Mm -hmm. So talk to that parent and maybe what their fears may be and what has your experience been looking at it now from from the side of maturity? I think it would be good to... Let me just say that we were blessed in the sense that quite a number of years ago, Karen and I were put in charge of a youth ministry, more of a discipleship. And one of the main assignments through throughout the year was reading Christian classics, biological accounts of different saints of God. Many of these were missionaries. And so these they enhanced our own sense of calling a mission, but it really worked with our children to help them to see there's a calling there. People are in need of knowledge about Christ that leads to faith and salvation. Without that, you know, Jesus, you know, said, "Who's who's going to go?" Or Paul says that in Romans. You know, they're not going to be able to hear if there's not someone who's sent. So they were reading stories of people who were being sent, and who followed the call. Sometimes you know, you see the the sacrifices that they went through to follow that leading of God to get to the mission field. Gladys Aylward, you know, what a great story. Uh, C.T. Studd, you know, there's so many stories that they read that helped develop the sense of if God has called me someplace, he's going to take care of me. And so I think part of it is a vision that if we're truly following God's lead, he will provide for us. He will protect us. And even if we're to die out there, it's still better than sitting back here and not doing anything. So when it came to Bible college, we didn't feel comfortable with many... Christian colleges out there because of the compromise, I think, would be the best word to put. And through Andrew, we learned about some more conservative Bible colleges, which were appealing. And as we prayed about it, we felt the Lord leading some of our children to go. I think three of them went on campus and four of them all together through online and for various ways. But we felt like 
they grew so much there. And it's not that they didn't have good input before, but it was through other mentors, people who had other backgrounds and other perspectives, but still godly perspectives and biblical perspectives who took them under their wing. It was the uh, peers were sometimes disappointing, but the uh, professors were very helpful in guiding our children as they were young adults and starting to go off on their own. It was just seemed appropriate that they would have more mentors than mainly their parents and their pastor, that they had more mentors that would reinforce what we were already trying to teach and even adding some things to that to make their experience even richer. And all the time that they spent studying the Word of God and things from a biblical perspective were also very helpful. So I would say Bible college, at least for a year or two, is really helpful in establishing things even further. And then if they need to get some practical training, secular training and other things, then they'll be all the more prepared to do that and still maintain their faith. And then with full-time ministry, I mean, there's there's arguments like you won't have enough money or you'll be too far away when it comes to missions. And that's that is a struggle. And I can't say that when I was raising my children, I really realized what it would be like to have children overseas. I did exhort them to do whatever God wanted and go where God wanted them to be, and that would make me the happiest. But to be honest, when three of them were starting to head overseas within a very short period of time, I was starting to feel a little panic. And so <laughs> I was struggling through things and praying, and did I do something wrong or did I do something right? I wasn't sure at that time, but the Lord just came to me at one moment, and he said, if you will let me have them now, I will share them with you for all eternity. So that was my promise, and I still have to look back on that at times. It wasn't like, okay, that's it. You know, I never struggled again. But I still, I still look at that, and the Lord has helped us to figure out ways to be creative and to stay connected. And it's not the same as being together, but the Lord has helped us to know ways where we can connect. And even with COVID, teaching us about Zoom and Skype and things like that, we have utilized that quite a bit in staying connected with our children overseas and our grandchildren overseas. Right now we have 12 grandchildren that are normally in another country. But there also is, just as an encouragement to parents, that there are these Internet connections we can make, which makes it so much easier than it used to be, but they do tend to come home and stay for longer periods of time. So there is a feasting period as well as a famine period, and so it's both... both can be a blessing as as you see them being used of the Lord and making a difference in the other countries. Because we, we can see now, especially in India and Thailand, where two of our children are, the need of the church. There is such a doctrinal confusion or lack, I would say, in those countries where the church cannot be the salt and the light that they're called to be. And I know the church isn't all it should be in America, but it's even more severe in these countries. So they need people to teach them sound doctrine, and they need people to live out the life in front of them, the Christ-like life. And when you start seeing things like that, you say, yes, we do need this. We Someone needs to send their children over or go themselves and make a difference. I was going to see when our children were younger, we would we took a, at least a couple of trips out to Colorado as a family, and that's our vacation. Now our vacation, we save our money to go overseas to visit a family, which is great, you know. <laughs> we um, rack up a lot of frequent flyer miles on our credit cards, everything. Well, most things that we buy, we put on our frequent flyer cards, and that's the way we can visit our family and we have free places to stay and some really neat places around the world. <laughs> let me uh, let me go back to you mentioned you invited troubled kids over. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there was a lot of that 
in the days uh, before we met, but I also know that since we've met, you've been involved in foster care, and that has also bloomed into adoption, Mm -hmm. not just from uh, the States, but also from China. And so now that your biological kids have kind of grown and gone, you've stayed youthful, vital parents. (laughs) Uh, Tell us a little bit about that journey. I think Karen said when we were discussing this earlier, one of the things we would have done different, we would have had more children earlier on. Wow. And felt like we missed something there because there were some areas where we, we were still kind of following the track of the world and the worldly church even, saying, well, don't have too many kids. And the foster care was just trying to see how we could help some children. Our first adoption was supposed to be a weekend respite. The other foster mother did not want her back. We got a call, and so they said, would you be willing to take her? I said, we'll keep her for a while. And a year later, we adopted her, and uh, we've had her now 10 years. Foster care and adoption can be a real trial, but there again, we have opportunity to love, to give, to help give an opportunity to somebody that might not have that an opportunity for just living a semi-normal life. Adoption overseas is just friends that were there sent us some videos, and we just prayed and felt like that we were able to do that. Age-wise, if they were not special needs, we wouldn't have been able to have done it. But because of that thing, we were able to adopt then. And it's a lot of fun. (laughs) It's been an exciting journey, and I know it's enriched our lives quite a bit, getting to know these two lovely young ladies, and it's a testament to the fact that ministry never stops. We have one opportunity in this world, and you guys have not gotten old and cranky, but you, <laughs> uh, you've kept on the firing line. I do want to accent what you mentioned there. One of the questions are, what would you do differently? And I thought it was very interesting. Well, we would have had more kids. Mm-hmm. Wow, that one will grab a lot of people's attention. <laughs> Could you elaborate maybe a little more on that? And then if there's anything else you'd like to answer to that question, feel free to throw that in there. I'll just say that there's so much pressure, even in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple kids, that's enough. And it could be that that's maybe all that God wants you know, family to have. There's nothing wrong with two children, nothing wrong with one child. But when you're able, and it's, I think it's a matter of allowing God to be the one who's doing the choosing in these things. It's about our attitude, you know. Are we saying that's enough children? Because I'm tired, because, you know, I'm overwhelmed, because it's a lot of work. Or it's going to take a lot of money. Right. You know. Right. And I think that we we can see now where we if we would have had more children, maybe we could have sent some to even more countries or maybe we would have had some working in our home church with us. You know, it's an opportunity as a parent to influence children for the Lord. And then many people benefit from it. You do. Other people benefit from it, and you can't control how other people minister or act, and you can't control how your own children do either, but you can highly influence them with the Lord's help. So there's nothing like raising your own children, even when you're mentoring and discipling people from other families. It can be powerful, but it's not the same as having someone under your roof all that time and we found that way even with adoption you know that is a beautiful way to mentor and disciple someone whether it's foster care or adoption is to bring them into your home because you influence them so much more they see so much more of your life and it's not like just meeting with them once a week and you think about it with this culture and where some of these children are born what families they're born into And from day one, their conscience is violated. I mean, even though they aren't aware of it at that time, but from day one, there will be fighting, there will be arguing, 
There will be immorality from the TV blaring into their lives. There will be lying. There will be drunkenness. So when you have that from infancy on up to two, three, four, five, eight years old, you have something on your hands that is hard to unravel. So we don't always realize and recognize what a gift it is to have the Lord and to have his influence in our lives and what a difference it makes until you see the darkness as some of these children have experienced and as we've even been ingrained inside of them. But the Lord is there to set them free. They just need to have a taste of it and see it in action. And I think I'll just add that the three siblings, you know, the three brothers that we took there for a while that were at Toxin. <laughs> you know, what a challenge. But they it gives yeah, <laughs> it gives opportunity for the body of Christ to, to love. Those people that were there loved these boys and these boys knew it. Uh, and that is so important. What is for children that have never really been loved what happens to them when they get in that atmosphere where people are focused on them, listening to them, and giving them hugs and and telling them they're appreciated? It is part of their healing. The church has this responsibility for the healing of the world. It's not our secular psychiatrists that are going to heal the world. It's going to be the church in Christ's love, in being patient, long-suffering with some of these kids, because they can be a real trial. They have they most many of them don't know how to act you know, around other people. So it gives the church even an opportunity. So let's pick up there as we kind of wrap things up. We're talking about raising missional kids, and so you've been very decisive about the kind of climate you want in the home the habits that we're building into the kids, the places we're taking the kids. We're being decisive about the influences, whether it's even you know watching the relationships even at a safe spot like a church. Uh, but at some point, there's also the opportunity for ministry. And so now we're investing the kids into being active. Uh, you mentioned you know, that we've spent a good part of this conversation with, with foster care and, and hospitality. Maybe you could spell out some steps for some people that say, hey, I, I, I'd like to start doing some of this stuff. Uh, they've got a lot of great ideas. Some of this is brand new to me, and I've not really heard much of this before. What are some of the things that they could do to, to start making ministry a family priority? Maybe the first thing is just sitting down with them. We would include our children in, in some decisions, of course not, but many of the decisions, if it had to deal with a family, we're going to have them part of it, especially if the, the children are already a little older. If they're younger, you can just start right in by developing, you know, when you're having a devotional time, get the little children's chorus book out and sing some songs as, as part of that. Uh, if they're a little older, maybe start singing. It doesn't have to be really great, but you memorize some songs together. And you can be just out on an outing, and all of a sudden, this thought comes to you. You know, you're out doing a picnic, and there's this other family over there at a picnic table nearby. Hey, kids, let's go sing to them, you know? And so you go and sing in a couple songs to them, and, and they, the other people may be embarrassed to, to no end. But it, it permits the kids to be a part of something, sharing what they, maybe it's just a little they know of Christ, but they're still sharing it and becomes a, a part of them, the joy of, of doing that. Now, you, I, I've not heard that particular story, but you guys actually did stuff like this. Like you would sing the doxology at a public restaurant? Quietly. I mean, you know, within reason. There were things we did, and when we were in Europe, we would gather in a public square, and we would start singing hymns. So, yeah, there were things we did like that. And then there... So that's probably not the time to practice or to sing it for the first time. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think this is... I mean, it's very novel and unique for a lot of people. But one of the things that you're teaching is you're teaching your kids some confidence, not in just public presentation. You're teaching them this is a lifestyle that Christ has given to us. It's worth singing about. You mm -hmm. know, they, they've they got... their 
sad songs of sin and sorrow that they're <laughs> pumping in in music with uh, different shopping centers and whatnot. But here we go. You can see real people singing real songs in real mm-hmm. time, and they're singing because they want to. That's a powerful witness. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been so good. I want to just maybe take some opportunity to reiterate when I've heard you talk about opportunities that you've participated in as a family, I don't know that necessarily any of these were offices of the church. You've been very supportive in the churches you've been part of, but you didn't wait on a church to create a ministry role for you to step into. Right. Where there's ministry, you just see the need and you do it. And that helps the kids not to say, well, I need recognition from the church. No, we, we're doing what we want to do because this is just the expectation. And then, you know, when you said when your kids got the call, it was just kind of funny that nothing necessarily stood out to you because that was expected. Of course, you, you give your heart mm-hmm. to Jesus and you're going to walk into ministry. Hello, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it would stand out to us if it didn't go this way. So I want to challenge those who are listening to not wait on or blame local fellowships that you may be part of, but to say, you have an opportunity to be the therm- mm-hmm. ther- thermostat and to say, whatever the church is doing, whatever their problems and faults may be, we can still have the family vision. We can still be active in the ministry. We can still raise our kids. And through that, we can hopefully be a blessing to the local church and the, and the broader community. So thank you very much. Any final, final words before we close? I would say that we're very thankful that the Lord brought us to Toxin because you have been a great assistance to us and sometimes even leading us in the pro-life areas. And so your vision for missions has also assisted us as well beyond what we've, we've done. So that's part of God's, what God has done. We you know, look back and say, wow, the Lord's done a great thing. All right, well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for being part of today's discussion. And stay tuned till next time. <laughs>